we're going to learn where the deficiencies are and we're going to learn where the needs are and we're going to keep revisiting and keep changing and improving the bylaw to meet the needs of the community. The community is not going to stay static. It's going to evolve. And as it evolves, so must the bylaw. Welcome to Kelowna Talks, where we explore the why behind the decisions that shape your city. Together, we open the curtain and dig deep into current issues, plans, and policies that come out of City Hall. Thanks for joining us as we talk about Kelowna and the topics that matter to you. Hi, everyone. I'm Bob Evans, Partnership Director at the City of Kelowna and host of our Kelowna Talks podcast. I acknowledge that our community is located on the traditional, ancestral, unceded territory of the Silks Okanagan people. Well, we're here today to talk about planning and specifically zoning and our recently adopted zoning bylaw. I feel like uh, we are losing listeners already, but stay with us. I'm sure there's lots of good stuff coming. But this is something near and dear to me uh, and our other two guests, and zoning affects citizens more than they realize. Basically, this regulates land use and what we can do and what where we can do it in a neighborhood and uh, what you may or may not be able to do with your property in very, very simplistic terms. So join us today. We have Adam Seck and Barbara Crawford, both planners with the city. Welcome, Adam and Barbara. Thank you for having us. Thank you kindly. So we usually start off with a little, uh, tell us about yourself. So Barbara, I'll start with you. Uh, how do you like to spend your time when you're not planning our great city? Thanks, Bob. Um, I'm just going to start that with a tiny little um, preamble of a story. 25 years ago, my husband and I came to Kelowna on a ski visit, a ski vacation. And uh, we absolutely fell in love with the the region, the mountains, and the quality of skiing. And we thought, huh, if there was an opportunity to come back, wouldn't it be great? Not a bad place. Yeah. Not a bad place. Yeah. And as it turns out, a year after that visit, um, I was presented with an opportunity, a job opportunity straight out of university. Didn't even think about it twice. We packed up our worldly possessions and um, came out here. And 24 years later, that was a one-year contract. 24 years later, we're still here. And the, the main reason is because of what the city has to offer the lifestyle, and that this is an amazing place to raise a family. So we are an active family. We love canoeing and hiking and biking whenever we get a chance. Um, I myself enjoy running and, and rock climbing and gardening. And I also feel uh, quite uh, connected to the community. So uh, we'd like to give back where we can. I volunteer with various nonprofit organizations, but uh, currently I'm volunteering with Powderhounds Adaptive Ski, oh, nice. um, who uh, take people with various abilities uh, skiing at Big White, um, whether they're adults or children um, adapt to their needs. Oh, nice. Very yeah, good. Thank you. Well, we're glad you're here. So you're at the city that whole time? Uh, no, I haven't. I, okay. I, I've i uh, changed my career several times, okay. uh, career paths a few times, but always within a, a, a similar type of uh, spectrum. I'm, I'm a geologist and I've uh, been uh, in the in the mining sector and consulting sector and, and contaminated sites and, and now with the city. Adam, I know there's uh, all sorts of things in your background and uh, things you like to do involving rocks and rings and things like that. Anything you want to tell us? Well, thanks, Bob. Well, if Barb's going to start with some origin stories, <laughs> yeah, I guess I can uh, start. Yeah, I do. I do uh, competitive curling, and I am trying to. I got. We have a team this year that went into a few world curling tour events, and we're hoping. Really? To, oh, cool, great. To give it a give it a chance at the Briar this year, so we'll see see how that unfolds. On my origin story, my grandparents moved to the. Actually, my great grandparents moved to the Okanagan Valley, and my grandmother came from Saskatchewan and settled here. So we're uh, long roots here in the Kelowna. My grandma, before she passed, we always, every year we went to the Okanagan Historical Society, used to, you know, sit there, tell old old stories. And my grandfather actually worked for the city of Kelowna 
for 35 years. Really? Wow. And I have some of his memorabilia for when he was retirement. So I'm continuing on the trend with the family working for the city of Kelowna. Yeah, that's a, that's a great backstory. Well, thanks for sharing that with us. So let's get on to our topic today. And uh, I'm just going to throw these out there. So either of you can answer or both of you, it doesn't matter. What is zoning and why is it important? Let's start with some sort of basics here. Um, yeah, I'll start and, and Adam can always, of course, fill in the gaps. Um, so the origins, maybe I'll start with again, the origins of, of zoning, origins, yeah. <laughs> a theme happening here. Yeah. Um, and the origins of, of zoning was uh, created in order to separate land uses and um, specifically uh, those that are conflicting, let's say industrial versus um, residential and, and over time, that's evolved and the evolution that's included um, the alignment of uses and alignment of, of other provisions of a city, such as transportation um, requirements or networks. And the zoning itself um, is, is a basis for which the city's uses and uh, the growth and dynamics are built um, on, a, on a city plan. And um, it's, uh, it is also the implementation of the official community plans um, and other high-level uh, plans such as transportation master plan, uh, the housing strategies that uh, the city has, and they they all feed into a document such as that of a zoning bylaw, and uh, that develops into um, a co- concept or, or policies into implementation of actual uh, rules and regulations. So that's at a high level, and uh, I, I, I think that uh, most of the folks in the city would be interested in what a zoning bylaw does, just so that they understand what they can and cannot do in their on their property, um, or their neighbor can and cannot do on their property. Yeah, because most of us uh, don't think about zoning every day. No. So, can, you know, again, give us a little bit of advice, guidance on why people should pay attention to zoning and what it means for their own personal properties and just their own lives. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think fundamentally, like the purpose of a zoning bylaw is to tell property owners what they can and cannot do with their property. And fundamentally that it, all those rules and regulations describe minimum standards, whether it's parking, landscaping, building heights, setbacks, all those like very important to how you interact with the built environment. And all those uh, rules and regulations are derived from policy. And so the city of Inclona has been engaged in multiple policy updates over the recent years. And this is the logical next step, having a zoning bylaw evolution. And it is very important for people to pay attention to what you can and cannot do with your property. We live in the, in the community and it affects us all, depending on whether you live out in the suburbs, in the core, transportation, everybody interacts with the built environment. So new. So it's a new zoning bylaw. Can you help uh, the listeners understand what it means by a new zoning bylaw and maybe help walk us through a few of the key differences that you would like to highlight? I'll jump in. And I just wanted to, I think, start with um, uh, really recognizing that. And I certainly didn't know this when I started on the project um, as the project manager, that the the city's first zoning bylaw was adopted back in 1938. And it was then updated in the early 60s. And it was updated again twice in the 1970s. The previous zoning bylaw was uh, fi- was adopted in 1998. And along the way, um, really, the 1998, which is bylaw 8000, had uh, carried over a number of of the um, the rules and regulations from the previous uh, versions. So, although there were amendments and and there were um, uh, new ru- rules and regulations that were brought in and to meet the changing needs of the city, such as parking or short term rentals, the previous bylaw really was stuck. Um, it it didn't. It was uh, it represented of of many previous versions just being carried over. So 
it became quite evident, especially with the new OCP being adopted earlier this year, that the existing, at the time existing zoning bylaw, just did not meet the, the needs and did not align with the policies. And a new zoning bylaw needed to be drafted and, and written. So that was uh, the task that Adam and I had. And and um, and a new zoning bylaw was uh, developed in order to align with the new policies and provincial legislation, along with um, uh, many other uh, city initiatives. And uh, what about the general public, the, the land development sector? I'm sure everybody had a little bit of a say in this. And how did you uh, walk through the modifications and creating the, the, new, the new zoning bylaw? And what were some of the key aspects for you? Um, the development process of the of the bylaw was quite extensive. We worked on it for a few years, and uh, it involved um, internal stakeholders. Um, we initiated with uh, work groups that provided us uh, their insights and, and their their expertise in their respective fields within our own group within our own departments. This was a quite a collaborative and um, involved um, project that really had um, internal and external stakeholders, such as developers and the public um, uh, that provided us their their feedback and comments through a public consultation and stakeholder consultation process. And um, many of those comments were taken in and reviewed and and woven into the new bylaw. So you say it was a two-year process or? Well, uh, the project itself was uh, about a two-year process. Um, but as I previously mentioned, it, you could probably say this was probably about 20, 25 yeah, years okay, in the making. Um, so when was the last time we actually did a full redo? Is it or has it just been modified over the years? Yeah, it was uh, 1998, like Barb said, okay. was the uh, the last one. And you know, over the years, there were updates. There are always uh, is updates to you know rules and regulations and to bylaws. But there was a need to have uh, major updates. And to some of your questions about some of the highlights and some of the big, yeah, yeah. let's uh, get into it. Changes, some of the good stuff. Yeah. <laughs> uh, one of them was there's been large updates with the Ministry of Ag and Agricultural Land Commission. So there's new rules related to certain farm activities, and we created a new agricultural zone that only applies to the ALR land. So all those agricultural rules are now going to be specified in the new A1 zone. And then everything that was outside the ALR that was zoned previously as A1 now is this new zone called A2. So it's going to be a hybrid between agricultural and rural residential. And that, of course, is outside the ALR. And then some of the highlights that were um, really derived, some of the big pieces that are changes were derived from uh, policy that was recently created with the Efficient Community Plan. And the zoning bylaw is really just the embodiment and implementation tool for those policy decisions. And so one of them was we created an urban center zone per urban center. And within the official community plan, there were certain building heights allocated throughout all those urban centers. And so there was a density allocation targeted for each building height category within each urban center. And then on top of all that, there was a density bonusing introduced into this zoning bylaw that would help developers marginally improve their height and or their density in exchange for uh, payments into the public amenity streetscape fund or an affordable housing fund. Those were the two options that council approved in terms of increases in densities. And these were all derived outcomes from 
efficient community plan and is in general meant to provide more consistency and more expectations of outcomes within these urban centers so that members of the public, neighbors, property owners can have better understanding of exactly what is going to go inside these urban centers. Maybe expand a little bit on density bonusing because I think that's you know, something of, of pretty great interest out in the community in terms of lots of controversy in terms of heights of buildings and density and our ever-growing urban centers in the city. So help our listeners understand why we want that and how it benefits uh, all of us. Yeah, absolutely. I guess you can't talk about the changes without what was wrong with the previous zoning bylaw. And in our old one, we had a downtown zone that had a really high density. But in our official community plan at the time, there were there were strict height limits. You know, however, developers, it, you know, wanting to maximize their property values and maximize the unit yield according to their density targets would always apply for height variances. And so we heard loud and clear from neighbors, from council, from the official community plan that we wanted to tie building height policy with zoning and density regulations. So throughout the urban centers, you'll see height categories and FARs tied to those height categories. And there were large studies done to coordinate the amount of parking that's typically required within okay, a certain Okay, you, you did pretty good until you dropped in FAR. Yeah. yeah. So as planners, you can't help but use acronyms all the time. We try our best not to use them, but FAR is stand-in for floor area ratio, which is a stand-in for density. Right. And it's, a, it's how much floor area you're allowed to build based on how big your lot is. Perfect. Okay. So... Let's talk about a couple other different areas. I, you know, parking is always a big one of concern. Bicycle parking, car parking. How did you approach the evolution of us hopefully spending less auto dependent days, and how that looks at uh, how that in- impacts our our land use and our densities and our zoning? Yeah, absolutely. Like, not only did we learn from the official community plan in terms of policy objectives and outcomes where we wanted to implement that in the zoning bylaw, our planning team also, and our council and everybody else in the development industry learns from previous, you know, examples as well. And one good one is uh, we had some recently approved developments that got occupancy, let's say, in the last three or four years. And what we learned is just having a minimum amount of bicycle parking doesn't necessarily incentivize the use of those bicycle parkings. Mm -hmm. So if you, for example, have a three or four story parkade, but your bicycle parking is located on the top of that parkade, you know, in storage uh, facilities, like in, in areas of the parkade, it's very inconvenient for people to ride their bicycle down the ramps. So what they tend to do, and our expectation was to use the elevator, but now a lot of stratas are banning bicycles in the elevator because especially during the winter or, or wet months, it's constantly maintaining the elevators. And, you know, that was seen as a big barrier to increase incentivizing bicycles. So we put in a rule that they must be within the ground floor or within one story of the ground floor to sort of encourage, you know, that modal split that the city has between active transportation and vehicles. But at the same time, it's not that we're uh, not sympathetic to vehicles. You know, we also heard... um, there was a lot of complaints about compact stalls and compact stalls were not very, this is vehicle stalls. They weren't very functional. They could only fit, you know, extremely small mm-hmm. vehicles. And essentially council agreed that we got rid of that. So no more could you do 10% compact stalls. So we increased the size of the parking stalls. So we were kind of fine tuning and getting our regulations, you know, in order to meet the current market demands. I'm trying to look out when we look at an OCP and we visualize the future of our community and again, trying to incentivize people to take alternative forms of transportation. Does the zoning bylaw address that or do you have to just address current situations and then 
again, probably do an amendment at some stage to look at how we either tighten or loosen those parking requirements. And of course, there are some municipalities now in Canada who have taken out parking requirements completely out of their zoning bylaw. So that's a pretty radical move. And I just, yeah, I just always interested in parking. Yeah, absolutely. I would say that uh, what's really important with parking rules and, and zoning rules in general is that they generally follow from policy and from the official community plan so that if you lead with regulations that are you know outside the scope of what you know your elected council and the desire of the community is you're generally pushing you know a rock uphill so we like to you know follow policy and so the direction uh you know through official community plans and very community plans that would inform these this is why we set up a urban center zone per urban center so that our you know, long-range policy group can go in and do an urban center plan per urban center and fine-tune these parking regs depending upon, you know, when you do a complete study of how close commercial, how close active transportation is, you know, how, what the usability of um, vehicle parking rates, they may vary between um, urban centers. And that fine-grained policy work then helps inform rules and regulations in the zoning bylaw. And maybe what I'll also add is that um, as far as the zoning bylaw itself is is a is a living and, and growing document. It's an evolutionary document. So when the project um, proposed these these new um, bi- uh, parkings or or other regulations, it's understood that over the course of the time of the life of the of the project or the the bylaw itself, once it's implemented, we're going to learn where the deficiencies are, and we're going to learn where the needs are, and we're going to keep revisiting and keep changing and improving the bylaw to meet the needs of the community. The community is not going to stay static. It's going to evolve and as it evolves so must the bylaw no that's good to know that's good for people to hear because again we talk about how we change the official community plan policies all the time we're not policies of the interpretation of it and uh, a lot of people have to or don't understand it's an interpretive document and it has to be a little bit flexible leads me to my next question so just again can you help uh, the listeners understand the the, the segue between the official community plan, we uh, also adopted a new transportation master plan this year, and where the zoning bylaw fits in that hierarchy of plans and how it how it complements the official community plan. Yeah, I'll, I'll start. Um, we gave the one example of the building heights, and then we developed density rules based on those building heights. Um, another example from the transportation master plan and the official community plan is there was a comprehensive study done where in our urban centers, what streets are retail streets, what streets must have retail or not, or um, residential above ground floor or on or or office must be located in the tower or not, and so all those rules then got translated into or all those policy objectives got all translated into the zoning bylaw into you know must depending upon the street character, and all those are all mapped out and are within our either transportation master plan and our zoning bylaw. We're in a unique spot now where we needed to, all of our rules are coordinated, especially in our urban centers, where if you if you varied parking, or if let's say you if the policy decision was to you know have no parking in a certain area, you know, that would affect the amount of uh, buildable area that a developer could do. So right now, a lot of our densities, setbacks, building heights, density, and amount of parking that's required typically in in those formats are all coordinated. So you know if any one of those would change, 
then you always have to come back and re-edit the zoning bylaws. That's why it's so important that if there is a policy objective like parking and reducing the parking, that if that's a consequence, then you look at all the other rules that are, that uh, interact with them. Um, just uh, maybe uh, all I'll add is uh, on a much higher level, um, those are the sort of the more details, but uh, you would ask how the uh, the bylaw actually ties in with the OCP, and that is that simply the, the zoning bylaw is an implementation tool of the, the higher level objectives of the OCP or Transportation Master Plan. And um, and it just basically takes direction from the OCP and conforms um, with the various policies and and uh, makes the policies into into regulations for those who want to understand the, the nuance. I guess another uh, important policy that affects a lot of people within the core area is um, the city um, has a lot of um, importance on that missing middle on having uh, lots of infill housing. And a few years ago, the city introduced the RU7 zoning that you could have a fourplex on a certain core lots. And it was really uh, geographically defined. And now with the new official community plan, any property within the core area can now go to that equivalent zone, which we're calling MF1. It's the infill zone. And so anybody in the core area can now rezone to essentially a fourplex zone. Um, There is a certain density regulations, but I use fourplex as a stand-in. Okay, that's a great segue for a question I have to ask. You're <laughs> going to cringe on this one, but you know, are we seeing the, the demise of the single-family house? And what uh, you know, there's a lot of people that have been in Kelowna for a very long time, and they, you know, they're they're probably justifiably upset, scared. What's their community going to look like? What you know, how do you address somebody who approaches you and says, you know, I, I, what about single-family homes? I love my single-family home. Well, I do think there's an important role for uh, single-family homes, and our official community plan outlines there's a suburban residential future land use category. It outlines all the suburbs of places like Wilden, uh, McKinley, Black Mountain, Kirshner Mountain, the Ponds, Kettle Valley. There are lots of designated uh, single-family areas, um, but within the core itself, let's say within the downtown area all the way to Rutland, into Glenmore, and towards the H2O center and the CNC along Gordon. All those areas are now defined as the core area, which, you know, from a policies perspective, the official community plan said we need to effectively utilize our resources more. And these are where all of our transit supportive corridors are. And so, yes, the policy and then the zoning bylaw has identified those areas as if you have a current single family dwelling that, you know, subject to, you know, engineering review, that your property could rezone to a you know, higher intensity infill housing zone. Uh, another topic that's pretty hot nowadays is affordability. How does the zoning bylaw impact affordability from your perspective? Well, um, yeah, I think from fundamentally what a city, you have to always have to think of what a city can control. And affordability, there's a lot more components in it than just the city can control. We do live in a market economy where we have interest rates, there's certain buying and selling that it's outside a municipality's control. And what mostly a municipality can control is approvals and approvals of new housing. And I've actually seen in you know my career here at the city of Kelowna, a lot of projects have been approved that still haven't been built. You know, so even if a bank or a financing project never gets off the ground, even though it's approved, lots of times it's not necessarily a guarantee that it's built. So uh, I think fundamentally what, you know, any municipality can do, but in city Kelowna in particular, is keeping to its official community plan and incentivizing housing affordability through approvals. And we've had a record number of um, rental buildings built here in Kelowna over the last number of years. I think I, I remember going to an event once with uh, 
fellow from CMHC, and I think it was 2018 or 2019, and he gave a state of the market update saying, I think that you guys are building too much rental housing, <laughs> and then came back the very next year. It said, you could have built double. Yeah, I remember that. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, yeah, you have to be dynamic in this marketplace. Well, we're coming towards the end of our time. So I just wanted to ask you if there was anything that I've missed that you wanted to highlight about the zoning bylaw or anything else that's on your mind as two key planners in our city. Maybe I'll just share um, something that I learned along the way in this process. And um, I've I've been a project manager for a number of years. And it's, um, I have to say, I've been the public and the private sector now. And I have to, I have to, admit that being a project manager of a scope of a project like this is is quite fundamentally different um the uh, the the public sector clearly has number of of uh, stakeholders that are very much interested in, in and invested in the outcome of uh, of a of a project like this and um, managing and, and just finding that balance and meeting everybody's um, uh, needs and, and expectations and, and 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 hearing everybody and hearing all of those concerns and and uh, ensuring that the the key points are are included and and woven into the a project like this is um, is quite different than when when you're looking at it uh, from a public sector or mm-hmm. the private sector mm-hmm. I should say um, so to me it's uh, especially when you start um, dealing with different layers of provincial and legislative requirements and uh, developer and public and internal and it's it's uh, it's it, it is a challenge but I think we I like to think that we were able to meet all of those expectations and we were able to bring the document together in a way that um, today it meets today uh, the community's needs and and addresses all of those stakeholders uh, concerns and like I said I mean this is an evolving document and it can only you know continue to get better Adam any parting thoughts of wisdom uh no Bob I would just want to say thank you um, for having us and it was a pleasure and an honor. Well, thanks to the two of you, and I I appreciate your passion around zoning, and uh, I think a lot of people don't understand the amount of work that goes into a document like this, and thank you from all of us on our side (laughs) of the table here to say really appreciate you sticking with us and getting a new zoning bylaw out, and uh, we look forward to seeing how that turns itself out in our community. Appreciate your kind thoughts. Thank you, Bob. Cheers. Thank you for listening to this episode of Kelowna Talks. For more conversations about topics that matter in your community, subscribe on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. If you liked what you heard, give us a five-star rating and review and share Kelowna Talks with your friends and neighbours. For more information about this podcast and other big community conversations, visit Kelowna.ca slash community stories.